You are about to take part in a session from a Discipleship Bible School held at YWAM Richmond in the spring of 2022, and we are so grateful you are here. So much prayer went into every element of this course, from recruitment to content editing, and we are convinced you will leave this knowing God a little deeper. The Discipleship Bible School, or DBS, is an opportunity to survey the entirety of Scripture to discover God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. Over the course of 12 weeks, teachers explored the Bible section by section, not only to deepen students' understanding of what was written then, but reveal what we are being invited into now. If you like what you are hearing, visit ywamva.org to discover what courses we are offering, ways you can journey with our team, and other content created to help you know God and make Him known. Everything you hear was created as a step of faith by a team of YWAMers and volunteers who felt God inviting them to capture the DBS in its entirety, over 120 hours of content. If this content blesses you, consider supporting future schools and content by giving at ywamrichmond.org donate. Thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait for you to experience God today.
Wonderful. Thank you, thank you. So it's good to be with you all another day. This is Thursday, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> they sort of all run together. But that's why I have the days up there, so I, I, re I remind myself, okay, we're on day four. Good to go. So as uh, part of the course, we're going to start out with some feedback, some learning, hearing what each other's hearing and learning from this time. So let's talk about what you all are what you're taking away from our time together. <laughs> Are you from here, Roger? I am, yes. Okay, nice. Okay, awesome. Have you taught in DBS before? Oh, okay. Probably in almost every iteration, actually. Okay, good. That's good. Hey, you know, we can make that happen. Yeah. So, be fun. yeah, plenty of locations, along with this one right here. Okay, we got hands up. Great. Okay, I saw you first. So, Yeah, hearing or seeing it number one, but then actually getting the message out of it in each aspect and what it meant. It just opens up so much more of the word. So that's good. Maya. Um, well, I really liked how, um, yeah, you broke down the tabernacle, but mm -hmm. also like how um, pointing out like the, like the literal like numbers, even though like they were counting like able bodied men, but also the So good. Yes, making them into a nation, making them into an army so that they could go into this next stage of accomplishment, of conquering the things that the Lord had set before them, uh, even in the beginning in Genesis. So, thank you. Somebody else? It's so interesting to even, when you think about um, the covenants that were made, and especially the Abrahamic covenant, because, you know, Abraham didn't have any part in that, really. I mean, he it was the Lord making the covenant with himself to accomplish that covenant and to keep it. And so, um, above all, he is going to keep those covenants that he's made because it's, it's his character and his nature. So, so good. Yeah. Anybody else? You got something? 
We'll hear, we'll hear more about that today, so, for sure. Okay, anybody else? Let me give everybody an opportunity. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but you just looked like you had something you wanted to say. So. Okay, well, we will get into our time together and uh, just give you a little bit of roadmap of where I hope to be able to go today is that we'll be talking about the rebellion that takes place in this book. They're going to be talking about Balaam and that whole aspect of Balaam and Balak and that story that you're like, what is going on? <laughs> and then we're going to hopefully finish up numbers and barely start Deuteronomy, okay? So this is, and we've already, you know, we've already started numbers yesterday, so we've We've covered really the first uh, few chapters, especially through uh, the, the blessing is what we really finished off with yesterday. And so I'm going to jump into really going into chapter 10 and forward. So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to chapter 10, that's really where we're going to be starting in Numbers And so really when we are starting out with uh, even chapter 10, we see that, you know, the Lord is still speaking to Moses. And he says, now the Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver for calling the community to assemble and for signaling the, of breaking the camp. And so when both trumpets are blown, everyone must gather before at the entrance of the tabernacle. And so this would have been the signals for them on when to move, how to move, all of this kind of stuff. Because it talks about how um, when you sound the signal uh, the first time, then the east, side of the, uh, the east side of the tabernacle must break camp, and they would move forward. And when you sound a signal a second time, the tribes camped on the south will follow. And so it, once again, he is this God of order he is establishing, okay, when you hear the first trumpet blow, this is what it means. This is who's going to come out. And then the second blast, you're, this, this portion of the tribes are going to move out. And so he is still um, educating them on what it means to live in these tribal formations, but not just to be in this chaotic tribal formation, because with so many people, no matter what the number is, in numbers of people, it's still a large group, no matter what. And so you have to have a, a system and a structure in place. And, you know, even on a campus like this, you have, you have structures, you have times that you have to be at places, you have meal times, you have quiet times, and it's all because you're in community. And so how do you live with one another? You learn the culture, you learn what's acceptable, you learn what's appropriate. And so this is what the Lord is constantly teaching them through this. And so we see that things are going okay. You know, they are learning when, um, when they arrive in their own land and go to war against their enemies who attack them, they're going to sound the alarms of the trumpets. And so all, all throughout this process, the Lord is educating them on what is taking place. And so we even see, oh, well, it's on my next page, where, um, you know, the people are setting out for the first time. And so they're following the instructions of the Lord that were given through Moses. So they're doing really good. 
They're following the instructions. They're obeying. They're, they're on it. So Judah is the troop, uh, is the one that leads out, and they march behind their banner. And then they were joined by the troops of Issachar. And, you know, so you see then Zebulun comes about, and then the tabernacle was taken down. And so you see how they are being so methodical, and they're following the Lord's commands. And so we get through to uh, chapter, through chapter 10, and they've marched for three days after leaving the mountain of the Lord with the Ark of the Covenant moving ahead of them. And so they are, you know, really, I feel like they're at the, the height of where they are with the Lord. And then we come to chapter 11, and we really start to see this sad catalog of troubles that really start um, coming with the first generation of Israelites. It says, soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. The Lord's anger blazed against them. And so if you have listened to anything I've said this week, (laughs) that the Lord is creating them as a nation. He is making them into a people group, one that will be holy and set apart. And so with all of these instructions, it is still what he is doing. He is setting them apart. He is giving them the instructions of what it looks like to be a nation that is following his example. And so with this this and them starting to complain, it really is uh, just a sad, I think, turn for the nation. And the point of this whole section, these chapters 10 through 25 even, so this huge chunk of chapters in Numbers, really is um, showing why they would die, why the first generation would die in the wilderness. And we have two notable exceptions, and I think you all can probably identify what that is. You all know? Yes, thank you. I didn't want to say who, because then I'd give it away, but. (laughs) So, but other than like the two exceptions of these men, really this section does not, like I said yesterday, does not show the Israelites in a good light. And so the sin of this generation is their failure to trust God. So I'm going to like box this here because this is key, guys. Because if you think about all of the miracles that they have witnessed, all of the things that the Lord has brought them through, how he has provided for them, the festivals, the feast all of these things that he has given to them. What they have witnessed from their crossing the Red Sea until now. And so their failure to trust God. And so they are guilty of rebelling against God and his appointed leaders. And so we will see these stories played out within these chapters and somebody's car alarm is going off. (laughs) Okay. And so I want to talk about the importance of time framing and what all this means for this book. 
because we are only told selected stories from really a long period in their wilderness a time period. So we need to pay attention to what is actually selected and what's talked about and how much space is given to each of these stories and each of these aspects. Because when we are thinking about this 38-year journey that the Israelites are going to be going on, that their whole journey is summed up in one chapter, chapter 33 of this book. So this whole where they are traveling again and again and again, that is all wrapped up into one chapter. But we see that the Balaam story gets three chapters. So that's 22, 23, and 24. And then we also have a little bit more about their wanderings in Deuteronomy. But in this book alone, there's only one chapter that gives the specific locations and all that kind of stuff. And so the Balaam story, it seems to be more important than how they even got to these locations. And so when we think about yeah, even just the time that's given to these and why. So when you're reading the book, be, be that investigative, like, reporter, if you want to say. Like, asking those questions when you're doing those inductive Bible study, um, when you're doing the method, is what I'm trying to say. Like, be asking those questions of why is there three chapters for Balaam and only one for their 38 years? And so I want to talk about really one of the main things of what unfortunately is highlighted in this book, and that is the grumbling and complaining. And so we know that, well, somewhat know, that the Hebrew, I don't know how to say this word, so I'm not really going to try, I don't know Hebrew, but I'm going to say it's lun. <laughs> it's the Hebrew word for grumbling and complaining. That is probably totally wrong, but that is the Hebrew word for grumbling and complaining. And so this verb of grumbling and complaining is found in Exodus 15 through 17, and then also Numbers 14 through 17. So those chapters, 13 different times. So this, this word for grumbling and complaining. And so we know that in Exodus, they grumbled when they left Egypt till they got to Mount Sinai. We read that in Exodus. And now they will grumble from Sinai until they are all dead. And so that is Numbers 14 through 17. And really the only other Old Testament um, scripture that talks about and uses this form of this word, this Hebrew word for grumbling, complaining, is in Joshua. And that's where he is the target of, you know, the the scheme by the Gibeonites to trick them into uh, not killing them. And so this is where the only other time in these chapters where this is uh, talked about. But really the result of this grumbling and complaining is that this whole generation will perish in the wilderness. And then we only have... Um, you know, we have the example of the, the 12 spies going in and that instance of complaining and grumbling and, and the two notable 
you know, shining lights in this instance that did not go along with the grumbling and complaining. But just thinking about this aspect of because of their lack of trust and their grumbling and complaining, this was, the, this was their end result. Once again, I'm really bad with arrows. That they would all perish. And so when you are in the lunch line and you see something that's not so appetizing, how do you respond? <laughs> really? We're eating this? Ah. Or if, you know, take whatever example you want. That is a very small one, but I think it can be very easy to move in the direction of complaining about things instead of looking at the blessing of things. And, wow, we have food today. Thank you, Lord. Like, it may not be what I want to eat, but I thank you. And we'll, we're going to see a lot in this about grumbling and complaining against their leaders. And so let's just say you don't approve of something that your leaders want to have you do. How are you going to respond? Now, I'm not going to say that we're going to perish in the wilderness like the first generation did but also at the same time, what was their heart attitude that this was their response to all the miraculous things they had seen of the Lord? And so I want, to, want us to, uh, I'm going to get some group effort here, and I want us to read some scriptures. And so if I could get some, actually five volunteers. And um, really, these scriptures are talking about getting Egypt out of the Israelites. And you read that right, because the Lord has already gotten the Israelites out of Egypt, but now it's getting Egypt out of the Israelites. So can I get some volunteers for Numbers 11, 4 through 6? Maya? 14? Chapter 14? Okay. Cassie? Chapter 16, 12 through 14. Okay. Chapter 22 through 5. You got it? Okay. And then chapter 21, 4 and 5. You got it? Numbers Yes. Okay, so I want I want you all to ask, I'm gonna ask something of you all. Because what did we just talk about? What was on the last slide? Grumbling and complaining. Okay, so when you all are reading these scriptures, I want you to get your whiniest voice, complaining voice. <laughs> I want you to really get in character here, okay? <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to get in the shoes of the original readers, okay? And we're going to really, we're going to bring this home, okay? So chapter 11. Verse 4 through 6. 
So you don't have to do the narrator part as grumbling and playing just where they're speaking, okay? So, yeah. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and again. Oh, that we had meat to eat. You remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Oh, the manna. Seriously. Thank you. So good. Good, good stage sitting there. Yes. Okay. Chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Why? Wouldn't it not? I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think they have a little Stockholm Syndrome. Um, <laughs> so, chapter 16, 12 through 14. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> so does that mean you're always complaining? <laughs> you're always complaining. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, got it. You're just so innocent. You are. I can oh. tell your face. Nah. So innocent. <laughs> okay, chapter 20, 2 through 5. Yeah. 
should not have drank water before you started. I almost spit it out. <laughs> oh, that is glorious. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, and then chapter 21, 4 and 5. Who? <laughs> for your participation. I really appreciate it. Yes. Okay, but I, I mean, if we really get into, I know this was like putting on the shoes of the original reader, but what they were actually experiencing at that time that they were thinking it would be so much better to go back to Egypt. What did they just, what did they come out of? Slavery. Yes. How many years of slavery? 400 years. Yes. And they're like, oh, to go back there would be glorious. Seriously. <laughs> and so to really think about their relationship with the Lord. What he had done for them, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, what he had done for them, and this is how he was responding. This is what they were responding to him with. I would rather go back to Egypt. And if you think about it, I mean... That was their bondage. That was their, there was no freedom there. There was no identity there other than being a slave. And they wanted to go back to that. I feel like that would be a slap in God's face. So when even reading in chapter 11, when God got angry and he sent fire to rage against them, do you understand why? I mean, think of what he has done for them. He is calling them his special treasure possession. He's wanting to lavish his love on them. And this is the response that he's getting. How often have we been set free from sin and we quickly run back to it? Because that is no different than what the Israelites are doing. 
when we have been set free from an addiction, from anything that is not of the Lord, and then we quickly, or not maybe even quickly, but if we go back to it, we are an Israelite in that sense. And so it took one day, roughly, if you think, if you don't count Pharaoh going back and forth with saying, I'll let them go and not, and then I'll let them go and I'm not, but it took one day to get the Israelites out of Egypt. But how long is it taking to get Egypt out of the Israelites? And I'm going to say he wasn't successful because they died. And so let's not be people who are not fully living out the glory of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord and what he's done in us and through us. I don't want my story to be like the book of Numbers. And I don't want any of your all stories either. So it's fun to act out these scriptures, but these were real lives. I mean, to think of the weight of that, that, you know, especially before I did my Bible schools, and I think just growing up in the church, you're sort of like, oh, yeah, they're people, but they're characters, you know, especially in Sunday school when you're growing up, it's like the flannel, well, I had the flannel graph where, you know, you had the, the, the characters on there and you like pasted them on there. And it was just like, okay, yeah, like it, they started just being stories and it wasn't that they were actually real people. But when you think about the reality of the situation, And it really is heartbreaking to think about all of the miracles that the Lord has already performed for them and how they are constantly wanting to go back to their bondage when they are walking in freedom. And so let's not be people who forego our freedom to go back to slavery and bondage of the things that we have been released from. Because I think God has done a lot in each of our lives to get us to where we are now. And I don't know your all stories, but living any amount of time in this world, I know you have a story. And so, yeah, let's be people who are actually leaving Egypt behind completely, leaving our sin behind completely so that we can walk in full, as much as possible this side of heaven, fullness of holiness and of glorifying the one true God.
Okay. Any comments, any questions before we move on? Okay. Well, let's journey from Sinai to Kadesh. How about that? We're going to take a little walk. So this is where they uh, really begin to move. Uh, they, you know, we've been at Mount Sinai for a, a number of months, and now they are getting ready to start moving toward Kadesh. And so the Israelites are traveling northward in this battle formation to the southern border of Canaan. However, though, along the way, they will be punished for their complaints against Moses because of the hardships and the boring food, which we've already read about. But even the miracle of the manna, I mean, seriously. And they're like, ah, it's just boring. I'm done with it. And it was like, really? It's, yeah. Anyways, I could go on a little bit longer, but I won't because I think we all get it. But this journey that they were on, There's so many sad portions to it in this book. But like I said yesterday, I want us to remember this book and not follow their example. Let's learn from their mistakes. Let's be people who actually trust in the Lord, believe in his ways, and see the goodness in the land of the living who seek the promises and receive the promises. And so we, um, yeah, we're journeying through, and then we come to chapter 12. And really, I think this is, you know, thinking about what they've gone through already. Don't, don't read the screen yet. Let me take it back. <laughs> like, I don't want you to get ahead. Um, <laughs> but if we look at, um, okay, so we, we've already read a couple of scriptures about the complaining and the grumbling. And so, um, but here is, uh, let me find it. Uh, young man. Okay, so there's two men, Eldad and Medad had stayed behind in a camp, and they were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out into the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. And the young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And then Joshua, I hope this is what I want to read. I don't think it is. Um, it is not. Sorry, guys. I thought I was somewhere else. Okay. Well, we'll just keep going. That's not what I wanted to read. Um, so with the grumbling and complaining that Moses has already had to go through with the people, um, oh, here it is. Okay. Um, so it's in chapter 11 still, sorry. Okay. Moses heard all the family standing in their doorways. This is chapter 11 verse, or verse 10. Moses heard all the people or all the family standing in the doorways of their tents whining and the Lord became extremely angry, and Moses was also very aggravated, as you can probably imagine. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? 
have mercy on me. Why did, what did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How do I carry them in a land you swore to give your ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all of these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is too heavy. This is how you intend to treat me. Just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. So this is where Moses is at. All of this complaining. I mean, I I can understand. You can only take it for so long until you've had it, as your parents used to say, up to here. (laughs) I've had it up to here with you. Now go. (laughs) And so this is him saying, God, I've had it up to here with these people. I don't know what else to do, so just kill me then it'll all be over, at least for him. And so if that isn't enough, all the complaining of all these Israelites, I mean, is that enough weight to bear? But then we come to chapter 12. This is what I wanted. And his own siblings turn on Moses. It says, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had a Cushite woman. He married a Cushite woman. Has the Lord not spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? This is Miriam and Aaron speaking. But the Lord heard them. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle then the Lord descend, or, yeah, descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If you were prophets, if there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? I think this would be a really low point in his life. Because I have a sister that I, if she was against me, I would, I don't know what I would do. Because we are so close. And Aaron and Moses, I mean, when Moses was struggling through, Lord, I don't know how to speak to these people. I stutter. God gave him Aaron. Can you imagine the bond that they created over these years? I mean, even just being brothers, the bond that they had. And now they turn and speak this against Moses. When Moses is just doing his best to hold it together. I mean, he's already got multitudes of people. Already has multitudes of people whining and 
complaining and his leadership isn't good enough. He's not good enough. I want this instead of this. And now his own siblings, bless you. And so they say it's just because he's married a Cushite woman. But in all actuality, it is about them coveting Moses' position. Because Miriam, with Aaron's support, criticized Moses' wife, but behind that criticism was a deeper issue of resentment against Moses' spiritual authority, how he was leading the people. And so God sets the record straight. But it's so unfortunate that this complaining and this grumbling is even impacting and affecting his family relationships. It's one thing to have the people outside of your family to complain and sort of go against how you're leading. But then when your own family comes at you, I feel like that would just be a low blow. But thank God, God is on Moses' side and he takes up for him. But guys, this aspect of grumbling and complaining is so important. Do not miss it. It seems so minuscule at times. But this is like that leaven that just a little bit of it spreads quickly. I mean, even if, you don't like having to go to, I don't know, a small group at whatever time. Gosh, I wish I could sleep in a little bit longer. You say that in group? And then another person, I know, that would be nice if I could sleep in. Yeah, I'm so mad that we have to get up and read the Bible at, at this time. I don't even know what time you read the Bible. But anyways, like one little comment can begin to bring destruction into the whole group. So that's why it's so important to watch our words. To watch what we're focusing on in our minds and our thoughts. Because it does not take much for the enemy to say, yeah, you deserve better. You should be able to sleep in whenever you want. You should be able to read the Bible whenever you want. You should be able to eat whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You know, whatever it is, the enemy is always going to be like, yep, you deserve that. You should do that. So let's watch our words. Let's watch what's in our hearts. so that we don't become those people that are always speaking negativity. You will remember yesterday how it felt to be blessed, to have that spoken over you. And think about when you've had harsh words said to you, what your spirit felt like 
So let's be people who are constantly having that atmosphere of blessing and of life. Because this was bringing death to the camp. I mean, to the point where Moses was like, take me. I don't want this anymore. That's severe, guys. I don't think Moses was like, oh, yeah, take me, God. I'm ready. No, this was like, God, get me out of here. I am done. So for Moses to be at that point, that's severe, guys. So bless your leadership of this school, of this campus, of your homes. (laughs) Bless you. (laughs) You know, and we may not have all agreed with how we were raised. I mean... I remember having a curfew and being so mad that I had to go home at a certain time. And now I look back and I'm like, wow, I had parents who cared, who wanted to know where I was at a specific time, wanted to make sure that I was at home each night. And so let's not just stay in this concept of blessing in this community, but think about the people in your family that you can impact with your thankfulness and your, and your words of encouragement. And so God, may we always be people who have words of kindness on our tongues and that you would cultivate in our hearts love and thankfulness and gratitude so that even when things aren't going our way, we can still find the sunshine and the rain. And thank you for the Israelites for their example. I'm sad that they lived through this, but God, I'm also thankful that we have an example to learn from. May we take these lessons to heart and not throw them away quickly. But we would remember over and over again what it means to be people who imitate your holiness and your goodness. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay. So now... We have made it to Kadesh Barnea. How about that? All that journeying, whew, done. Okay, so a couple of things that are going to happen at Kadesh is that, well, first of all, it was an 11-day journey. See that? 11-day journey from Mount Sinai. And they journeyed to the promised land. The journey did not have to take 40 years but we know that it will. Because this will be where Moses will send the 12 spies from and to go into Canaan. 
This will also be the location where Miriam will die and be buried. And this will be the headquarters for the Israelites for, count them, 38 years. So they have a little bit of time to think about uh, their actions from these next chapters that we're going to read about. So let's talk about this rebellion at Kadesh. Because we know that the Israelites are finally, finally at their destination. They are so close to the promised land, guys. They are on the southern border of Canaan. So this is like, you know, they've come through the Red Sea. And I have a map of this. I'm going to show you on a little bit. But they've come through the Red Sea. They've been at Mount Sinai. And they, now they've traveled north to the, almost the land of Canaan. And so we see that God is saying, okay, let's send out men to explore the land. The land that I am giving the Israelites. This is God speaking in chapter 13. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So he says, Moses is telling them, go north through the Negev into the hill country and see what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what the land they live in. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? I mean, this is like, can you... Thinking about going to a new place, and you've never been there before, you've never seen it, you don't, you haven't seen any pictures on the internet, and you're like so excited because you don't know what's to come. You just know that there's been this promise that has been given, and you are going to get to set eyes on it for the very first time. What excitement! And so. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community. And they reported to the whole community what they had seen. They said, we entered the land and we set, and you sent us to explore. And indeed, it is a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces because they brought back fruit. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And then it talks about how the Malachites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they live in the hill country. It says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We cannot go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report among the land, among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes in there, even though they went in and came out. Just saying. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. Next to them, we looked like grasshoppers. And so then the whole community began to weep. And they cried all night. 
once again, this negative, this negativity, how quickly it goes through the camp. And what was so exciting, them getting to go into the promised land, see it firsthand for the very first time. And so with the goal in sight, they set foot in the land. A whole generation now will cut itself off from the promise. And because this was so severe, God condemned everyone 20 years and older to die in the wilderness so that only the second generation would be allowed to enter 39 years later. And so thinking about this, this story and what took place in that time, that Caleb was like, no, let's go, let's take it, we've got it, we can do this. And the other 10, they walked in fear. And it's not so much, I have on this slide that they, they walked in lies and fears. And it's not so much that it was lies because they did see giants. But their interpretation of their ability was that they couldn't do it. But they were neglecting to see, I think, and take into account the Lord that was leading them. They were still walking in an orphan spirit of not understanding who God was trying to be for them. So they said the land is going to devour its inhabitants. We seem like grasshoppers. What a horrible perspective to have. That if this is the promise that the Lord has been speaking over and over, and this was what they were thinking, oh, we can't do it. There's no way. They were terrified and they were overwhelmed. And I'm not going to say that wow, they should have just bucked up. and Because those things do happen. We become terrified. We become overwhelmed. But what were they putting their faith in? Themselves. Their own strength, their own ability, their own might, their own stature. We were grasshoppers compared to those giants. And so fear can be crippling at times. And I'm not going to say that we, we walk without fear, even though the Bible tells us over and over again, do not fear. But fear was the thing that stopped them. And fear could stop us. I'm not going to say all fear is bad because, you know, it is for our protection at times. Just like if you hear gunshots, you're not normally going to run in the direction of them. You're going to run away. 
And that's an okay thing. That level of fear is healthy. But when it's your own thoughts of, God, I know you're asking me to do this, but I just can't do it. There's no way I can do it. That kind of fear is you're walking in the Israelite mentality. And really, fear robbed the Israelites of their promised land. And it can rob us of the promises that God has set out for our lives. And you'll read in Joshua how the Lord was saying, be bold and courageous. And so courage is not the absence of fear, but it's walking through that situation, knowing who's on your side. And so how we handle fear is really important for what actually is produced in our lives and through our lives. Because we can settle for dying in the wilderness or we can face the giants and we can say, you know what, God, I don't feel capable, but with you, all things are possible. And so when God is asking us to do something, we do it in faith and in obedience. So I want you to take a few moments and really come before the Lord in all honesty. And if, there, if there's something that he's been asking you to do, but you've neglected it because of fear, because of doubt, I want you to, I know it can be hard, but I want you to share it with your neighbor. Because when you share, it's out in the light, and the enemy cannot use it. He might try, but you can say, you know what, I'm not going to go down that road of still continuing to believe the fear and the lies. And you can go and you can have that person or somebody else pray for you to walk with you through this so that you don't continue to get, give in to that fear and that, that doubt. Because I don't want us to be people who miss out on the promises of God because we allowed fear to take hold. So I'm going to give you all a few minutes to think Contemplate with the Lord, and then maybe if Bamboo, you want to come, and then uh, you, you three, if you want to get together, so then there's guys and guys and girls and girls. Okay, and I will just play a little song on my phone. Sorry, I didn't think I was going to do this, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> um. Let's see here.
Can you all do that with words, or do you need instrumental? Okay. Sometimes words are like...
I'll give you all another minute to finish up. Okay, let's start coming back together. I pray that that was a edifying time for you to um, to be honest and to because like hopefully what you've heard is having fear isn't bad it is allowing it to stop you so even when you aren't able to share what has been weighing on you. Then that's fear stopping you from being in community, from being in relationship. And so I encourage you to continue to combat these areas of fear that you identified and then the ones that the Lord will continue to bring up. 
and that you will continue to walk victoriously in this life. So I pray that for all of us in Jesus' name. Okay. So I want to, I told you I was going to show you a map, and so I'm going to do that now. Yay. So this is the famous place of Kadesh Barnea. So can you tell me where it is? (laughs) I'll show you. It is right here. Okay. So we see that um, really I have on here that this is really a long, uh, a long outreach for them. If you think three months is long and, and hard sometimes, imagine 38, 39 years. So, and so we know that, you know, they started out here in Egypt and then they crossed the Red Sea. They went down to Mount Sinai and then now they're up here at Kadesh Barnea or the wilderness of Paran. And so they are getting ready. Well, they've already sent. So you see Canaan is up here. So this is all Canaan, all this land is. And so they've sent in spies to go up to Canaan, okay? And so according to the number of days in which they spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity for 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. This is not something to take lightly. I can't imagine being in that place for those years, knowing that the Lord was dissatisfied. That he was not pleased with with their actions. So I want to pull in for a moment a little bit of the New Testament that we love Jesus. So I want to bring in the connection of Jesus. And so if we look at Matthew chapter 4, one through 11. Can I get somebody to read that for me? Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, 
all these I have given you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Okay. Thank you. So if we think about this in contrast to their time in the wilderness and how all of these times that the Lord was showing himself faithful and how the Israelites constantly went against um, the Lord. So these, this story of Jesus in these 40 days and 40 nights of uh, going into the wilderness is in direct correlation and it is showing that in Jesus it is possible. And so what the Israelites failed to do, Jesus was able to accomplish. So if we look at, you know, having the bread, that was one of the things. They wanted good food. And so the enemy is like, you know, th- or saying to Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to become lo- tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus says, no, the scripture says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so by turning these stones into bread, they were wanting to, he was wanting him to look after his physical health, his physical needs. And so with every aspect of this, it was Jesus saying, no, God is the one who will make this possible. I don't know if you all fasted before, but even for a few days, it can be rough. 40 days he went. And I can imagine being tempted with bread at even day 20. You're like, that sounds incredible, you know. But Jesus withstood the temptation. And then Satan says, can God save you? Do you really trust in the Lord? Do you think he's really going to provide for you? Once again, Jesus is like, yes, he will. Yes, he can. In the kingdoms of the earth, the children of Israel could not believe that God was giving them this land. They didn't believe in themselves. They didn't believe in the Lord. And for that, they did not get the land. And so I like this correlation of the Old and the New because the Old Testament and the New Testament because it shows where Jesus was able to fulfill the things that the Israelites were not. Okay, I'm going to finish out chapter 14 and then we will take a break. So if we, uh, we see that in this chapter, we've already read how, um, well, in, in chapter 13, we read how they sent out the spies into the land. And 
Caleb is like, no, let's go take it. We can do it. But the other 10 were saying, no, we cannot. And so it spread this fear into all of the community. And so even in verse 3, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? We've already read this in the complaining. Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to stay in Egypt? So they plotted amongst themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. That's what we're going to do. Then Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua and Caleb, tore their clothes. They said to the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Can you imagine the atmosphere at this time? What hostility would be in their midst? And so if we go on, we see that um, Moses begins to intercede for the people. And he, again, he is saying, God, he says, please, Lord, prove that your power is great as you have claimed. For you said, the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected Moses is interceding on behalf of the Israelites. He is reminding God of who he has told them that he is because he knows how angry God is right now. And so then the Lord says, I will pardon them as you have requested. But not one of these people will enter the land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I perform both in Egypt and in the wilderness but again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. So they will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. And so the Lord is telling them, you're not going to enter the land. You're done. It's over. You had your shot and you missed it. It says, because the men explore the land for 40 years, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so the 10 men Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who incited the rebellion against the Lord for their bad report, they were all struck down dead. And when Moses reported the words to the Israelites, the people were filled with grief that they would not be able to go into the promised land. But then they got up early in the morning and went out to the top of the hills. They said, let's go. We realize we have sinned now and we are ready to enter the land just as God promised. And Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord? He has ordered you to stay in the wilderness. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Covenant left the camp. 
Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them. The rebellion. What is in their hearts? I have in my Bible, I say, wow, a little late for their gusto for wanting to take the land. And that once again, they're exhibiting their stubbornness. But even the Lord is saying, don't go. Through Moses, he's like, if you go, it's like, don't do it. And so we have this sad, sad story of how they have traded the goodness of the Lord for the barrenness of the wilderness. And despite how chapter 14 ends, what is the first verses of chapter 15? May I read those for me? Just one and two. I mean, if I, let's just say, it's good I'm not God. (laughs) Because at this point, if I had been, I'd have been like, done. I'm done with you guys. I I have given, I have given, and this is what I'm getting in return. But God's heart. When you finally settle in the land. So everything they have just done, everything they have put Moses through and God. When you finally settle in the land, he is still, still faithful to his covenant, to his promises. I think that sentence right there is such a testimony of God. Because we see that he is remaining true. Even when they are defiant, when they are rebellious, when they are complaining, when they are being just outright spoiled brats. I cannot imagine that kind of love, that magnitude of love. Because, you know the saying, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. I'm like, how many times have they burned God? And he is still willing to love them and provide for them. 
And so if we ever think that somebody is too far gone, we can go back to this book and we can see the testimony of who God is, even in the midst of their rebellion. Okay. Any questions or anything before we take a break? Okay. 15 minutes. 